You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. Sometimes I think y'all think that I am just way out there and I make up this stuff, but Leah was saying that he wants to be with you and he wants you to be with him. He wants more than four minutes in a devotional somebody else wrote. He wants to be with you and many of you know that that's my life and that's what I found out about him. And for those of you that don't know, a number of years ago, probably five, six, seven years ago, I really wanted to be with the Lord and my heart was sincere and, and I I really wanted to spend time with him, but life just got in the way. And I would get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to spend time with you. And then my day would get away from me and I'd fall in bed at night and think, oh, Lord, I didn't even get any time with you. And then I came across the scripture in Isaiah uh, 50 that said, he wakens me in the morning and he wakens my ear to hear as one who's learned. And, and, and you know, he he gives me a word in due season that knows how to sustain the weary. And I was not rebellious. I did not turn away. And so I said, Lord, would you waken me every morning? And you know this story. And, and since that day, he has been, Dave and Leslie both are with me. I, Leslie travels with me on the weekend. Dave, and, Dave is with me all the time. They will tell you that he wakens me every single morning. I don't ever set an alarm. He gets me up to go be with him. And sometimes he's done some really wild things. Sometimes there's a knock on the door and I think it's one of the kids and I'll yell, come in. And I realized nobody knocked on the door. You heard the story where I woke up not so long ago and I heard music. I heard somebody singing and I'm like, who in their right mind is singing at this hour? And it was in my head and it was the Lord waking me up. And well, Saturday, Saturday, um, Saturday morning at about, for me, it was probably a quarter to four the Lord woke me up, and I was like, you've got to be kidding. It's Saturday morning. I'm sleeping in. I don't feel well. I think I'm entitled. Today, I'm sleeping in, and I made up my mind I was doing it, and I rolled over, and about four o'clock, our smoke alarm started to go off. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. Am I? Yeah. It wasn't the blaring. It, it was a beep. Yeah, it was a every every low 30. Battery, low battery. Every 30 seconds, beep, and I'm like, ugh. It's not stopping us. So I'm like, Dave, Dave. Because <laughs> it's like, beep, really loud. And, and it did not stop. And it was right outside our bedroom door. We have smoke alarms all through our house. But this one was right outside our bedroom door. And I'm like, baby, you got to get up. And so he got up. And God love him. He got a chair. And he got dressed. And he went to, to he pulled down the smoke alarm. And he took the battery out. And he's like, I'm going to replace this. Everything's going to be good, Rhea. And he went to a little, he's very organized. He has a battery compartment. He went to get the batteries and he didn't have a new battery. And I'm like, ah, what are we going to do? And he's like, it's hardwired. It won't turn off because they, you know, they want it to be that way so that you can't ever shut your, your smoke alarm off. So every 30 seconds, beep, and right outside our bedroom door, Dave, 
rolls over and goes back to sleep. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can't sleep through that. And so I get up and I get my sweatpants and my sweatshirt. And he's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going for, I'm going to get a battery. And so I go downstairs and I make myself a cup of tea and I think, oh, it's really dark. And maybe I don't want to go for a battery. And I make myself a cup of tea and I go sit at the table and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to try to study, and as soon as it gets daylight, I'll go get battery. And I sit down at the table, pull my chair in, open up my Bible, and I'm not kidding you, one, one minute, am I? It stopped beeping. So I study. Dave gets up about 8 o'clock. He comes down, and he's like, Rhea, did you, did you see that the second you sat down at the table, that thing went off? And I'm like... I know you think I'm kooky. I wasn't about to say it to you, but I'm telling you that's exactly what happened. So we were like, oh, that's good. Davey goes out, he gets batteries. He goes to replace it, and he's like, Rhea, that battery was just fine. He licked it, and it, it shocked him, and he's like, there was nothing wrong with the battery. And I'm like, did you replace it anyway? And he said, yes, I put a new, and I said, I don't want any energizers. I want Duracell, because that's never happening again. And he put a new Duracell battery in it, we go to bed that night, 4 o'clock in the morning. If I'm lying, I'm dying. <laughs> and it starts all over, all over. And I'm like, Davey, did you replace the battery? He's like, Rhea, the battery is replaced. And I'm like, it's for me. Just go back to sleep. It'll stop. <laughs> did I, did I, or did I not? I get up. I go downstairs, pull, and now my fireplace won't work. And so I'm like, kicking my fireplace, trying to get the pilot light up. I'm freezing cold. It won't turn on. And I keep hearing the Lord say, study the word. Beep! I mean, it's, going, it's still going off. I'm like, it didn't work this morning. So I think, okay, for maybe 10 minutes, I fiddle with the fire, fireplace. And then I feel like he's saying, Rhea, just study. So I grab my Bible, grab a cover. I sit at the, at the, the chair, open it up. And I'm not kidding you. The smoke alarm stopped going off again. That is how much he wants to be with us. Do you understand? I'm, that was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, Leslie and I were with, uh, we weren't here Monday night because we were with Paula White. Rock on with your bad self. <laughs> we loved it. Um, but Paula, one of the things Paula said to us was that um, I, I'm a firm believer in seed time and harvest. I don't know if you believe that, but I, I believe that, that that is a principle in the word of God, seed time and harvest. Whatever we plant, we reap. And I mean, you saw that with Leah tonight where she was saying that people were complaining, you know, grumbling and complaining are seeds. When you plant them, you continue to reap it more and more and more. Anger is, is a seed. When you plant anger, when you let yourself get angry, when you give in to that emotion and you begin to speak those words, you're going to produce it more and more and more. When you start speaking negatively, those are seeds and you're going to see that happen more and more and more in your life. I believe seed time and harvest works. It doesn't just work in a positive way, it works in a negative way. And so I'm a big seed time and harvest kind of person. And so Paula was saying, uh, she said something shocking to me. I, I, I was just stunned by this. She said that, she, that, that there's a new report out that says in the church, less than 6% of the people tithe. Less than 6% of the people tithe. I'm a tither. Less, less is a tither. See, we get this. Uh, I understand that, that that seed, and, and you're going to, you reap a harvest. Paul said that people spend more money on dog food a week than they give to God. What is up with that? Seriously. 
Guys, I'm telling you, seed time and harvest. It's a principle that you don't want to miss. I said to Leslie, let me take offering because I, I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to tell them um, you know, what she had to say. That just blew my mind. Anyway, so Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive. Lord, I'm mindful of the time, and I pray that you just multiply our time here tonight. I pray that you bring revelation, that you bring understanding, that you bring a word in due season, Lord God, to sustain the weary in this place tonight. Open up our hearts to receive our minds, Lord, uh, to the things of God. I pray that you'd put a good deposit in us with your word tonight, and that you bring revelation and understanding now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> uh, for those of you that don't know, I was born and raised in rural Pennsylvania, and I moved away about 30 years ago. Um, and my, but all of my family, all of my extended family, still live in Pennsylvania, and I, I love my family dearly. And I, I, I don't get to see them nearly as often as I'd like. And so I live for their periodic updates. My sister calls me often, and she will update me on on the things that are happening in our family. And a few weeks ago, she called me, and she has two little grandchildren. Uh, their names are Henry and Polly. Henry is six, and Polly is four, and and they are just corkers. I, I love it. I, occasionally, Kendall and I'll be driving down the road, and, and my phone will ring, and it's a FaceTime call from little Polly, the four-year-old who knows how to FaceTime, and she loves to talk to Kendall, and so she will FaceTime Kendall and, and, and talk to her, but they're corkers, are they not? They're little stinkers, and, and, but I just love, when they're not your children, you just love that they're stinkers, and, and so I love to hear all their updates, and, and, and so Robin was sharing a, a story with me that I want to share with you tonight, but I have to give you a little bit of background on Robin. Uh, she lives in a historic manner. Um, her home was built in the 1700s, if that tells you anything. It is, it, it is a beautiful, uh, historic home, and, and they don't make them like that anymore. You can't find the things that you find in those historic homes in new construction. I mean, Robin's got a fireplace in almost every room in her house, and, and she's got big, tall ceilings and crown molding and, and stained glass windows, and, and her whole exterior of her house is, is big stone, and it's just beautiful. But, but you know what happens? when you have old stone houses like that with mortar, you know what happens to your attic. Anybody know what happens? Bats in the attic. She's, she has her own little Gotham City in her attic. And I, I remember when Kendall and I go home, we do not sleep at Robin's house. Never, ever, ever. We sleep with my, at my dad's house because Robin has a tennis racket beside her bed because you just never know when one of those bats from the attic are going to find their way down. And I mean, that's just her house. And so we do not go there to sleep. And I don't even really like to go there to visit. I, I make her come to my dad's to see me. But so she has these two little grandchildren, Henry and Polly. And, and Henry and Polly just love to go to their grandma's house. And she said the other day they came to visit and, and they love to play dress up. They're at that age where they love to play dress up. And Henry said, Gigi, they call her Gigi. And, and he said, Gigi, could you just take us up to your attic? Because we'd like to get some dress up clothes. And Polly was sitting on the table and her mom was, uh, was on one of the chairs. And, and, and Robin could see Polly was a little timid. He, she, she wasn't into this going to the attic stuff. And, and Robin said, well, sure, she'd take them up. And, and, and so Henry followed followed her and they, they realized Polly wasn't with them and so they looked back and, and, and my sister said, Polly, are you going to come along? And she said, no, Gigi, I'll just wait here with, with mommy till you get back. And, and Robin said, oh, Polly, why don't you want to come? And she's trying to coax her to, to come with them and, and, and Polly looks at her and she said, Gigi, there's bats in the attic. And, 
And, and, and so Robin assured her that if she came to the attic that she would protect her. And she's like, they're hibernating right now. You don't need to worry about the bats in the attic. And, and I, I got you and I promise I'll take care of you. Just come along. And, and so Polly eventually consented and, and she was following at a distance behind them. And Robin's house has this huge staircase, a wooden staircase that goes up and turns and goes up. And it's massive staircase and it leads up to the attic. And, and so Robin and Henry were climbing the stairs and Polly is way behind them and and Robin could hear that she was muttering something under her breath but she didn't think much of it and she got to the top of the steps and and Robin began to unlock the attic door they keep it locked and uh, has a little skeleton key and she was unlocking the attic door and and she could still hear Polly and so finally she just listened in a little more closely and and she heard Polly say be a brave little girl. Be a brave little girl. <laughs> and, and so when Robin told me that story, I laughed. And she said, Rhea, it was the cutest thing. She's just saying to herself, she's getting courage. She's working up courage on her own. Be a brave little girl. Be a brave little girl. And, and, and as I was listening to that story, and I was thinking about what I was going to teach tonight, and I've been writing the, this Psalm 91 book, and, and so I've been writing about those kind of things in this book, and that was one of the stories I added to the book. And but, but as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, about myself and about all of you. And, and, and I just wonder how many of you have ever struggled with fear. How many of you, like Polly, does it keep you from really enjoying life? Uh, to, do you know that Christ died that you might have life and have it more abundantly? And I, I wonder how many of us uh, allow fear to keep us from truly enjoying life abundantly. How, how many of us fear really holds us back and keeps us from all that God has for us? How many of us, like Polly, have to, 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 to face our fears and force ourselves to face our fears and look it straight in the eye and, and all the while muttering, be a brave little girl, be a brave little boy. I just wonder how many of us struggle with fear. I, I want to talk to you a bit tonight about fear. You saw your memory verse. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Do you know that you can trust in God? Do you know that, that he, the word says, has not given you a spirit of fear? That's what, what 2 Timothy says. It says he has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a sound mind. He's given you a spirit of power. He's given you a spirit of love. I love that. I used to think he's given me a spirit of love. No, do you understand that, that he has given you a spirit that loves you. He loves you. Do you have any idea how much you are loved by God? Do, do you understand that? He says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. He says in Romans that he's given us a spirit of sonship. And by that spirit, we, we call him Abba Father. Do you understand that what he's saying to you is he's not given you a spirit of fear. You don't need to fear. You don't need to, to be timid and afraid. You, you don't need to, to, to worry that, that you have a father who wants to give you good things. You have a father, a good father protects, a good father provides, a good father takes care of his children. He is a good father. And he has given you a spirit of sonship. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. Do you understand the protection that's afforded to us? He does not want us dealing with fear. He doesn't want us being slaves to fear. Do you understand that? How many of you, without showing your hands, would admit that sometimes you struggle with fear? Lloyd Ogilvie says there are 366 fear knots in the Bible, one for every day of the week and, 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 and leap year. 
I don't know if that's true, but I did look, and there are over 500 uh, fear, um, do not be afraid, let me just make sure I have the right word, that there are over 500 over 500 times fear is spoken of in the, new, in the King James Version. Do you understand? 500 times God talks about fear. He would not put that that many times, make mention of something that many times, if he didn't think that we were going to have trouble dealing with it. If he, if he, if he, didn't, if he knew it wasn't going to be an obstacle in our life. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. We can choose to be immobilized and paralyzed by fear, or we can move forward choosing to trust God. We must learn to overcome our fears by trusting him more than we trust our feelings of fear. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, there is nothing to fear, for I am with you. Do not look around, around you in terror and be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and hard you, harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of righteousness and justice. Do you understand that it's understanding that God is with us that should bring us courage and allow us to face our fears and walk victoriously in the midst of them? Like little Polly, we must learn to confront and conquer our fears, knowing that God has promised that we can walk victoriously in the midst of them. He is bigger than any fear we face. I, I believe that that is the solution to dealing with fear. Do you see the, the Bible talks about fearing God? It doesn't mean be afraid of God. It means to understand how awesome he is, to understand how big he is. And when you have a healthy fear of God, when you understand his power, when you understand his might, there is no fear that the enemy could bring upon you that, 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 that you would not understand that God is bigger than that. Do you know that he is bigger than that? Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This is a familiar story, but I'd like to read, read, read it with you tonight. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and the other little boats were, along, were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who is this, who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, now you need to know that that story starts. Mark tells us that, that, they were, that Jesus and his disciples had been teaching all day and the crowds were gathering. And the crowds were so big that at one point Jesus had to get in a boat and push it out into the sea and teach from the boat because the crowds were pressing in and, and, and everybody was gathering around him. And they had become so large that he needed to get in a boat to get out away from them uh, to make more room for the people. And so everybody wanted something from Jesus. 
Jesus. People had heard what Jesus was able to do. Uh, rumors were, were traveling about, what he, what he, about this, this preacher from Galilee, and people were intrigued. They were, they were interested in him, and so they were coming in the hordes and in the masses to hear him. And, and so Jesus had been teaching with his disciples all day, and the word says that nighttime came, and Jesus said, instead of, let's go, instead of go home, let's go get in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. And so the disciples obeyed him. They got in the boat, and Jesus got into the boat with him. And you know the story. I just read it to you. Jesus goes to sleep in the stern. And so he is sound asleep, and all of a sudden, a storm arises. And isn't that how it works in our life? A storm comes out of nowhere. We're not ready for it. And all of a sudden, a storm just arises and, and just threatens to flood our boat. And that's what happened. The storm arose out of nowhere, and the waves started to beat on the boat and fill the, the, the boat with water. And, and the disciples were afraid. They were terrified. And you need to know that that's a big deal because disciples, some of these disciples were fishermen. They knew storms. They, they they, they knew what storms would pass. They knew what storms to be afraid of. And the fact that these disciples were terrified and they thought that they were going to perish is a big deal. It tells me that it was a massive storm. It was a storm of great proportion. And I wonder if there's anybody here tonight in a storm like that in their life, a storm that just came up out of nowhere. You weren't ready for it and you feel like it's flooding your boat and then and, and you're calling on Jesus. You see, that's what happened. The disciples, they're, they're, they're fearful. They're afraid that they're going to perish and they, they, they go and wake up Jesus. Jesus is asleep in the middle of the storm. You see, you can do that. You can rest in the middle of a storm if you understand who the author of the storm is, if you understand who has the power in the midst of the storm, if you understand who's holding you. And so Jesus is asleep in the boat and the disciples go and they wake him up and they say, don't you even care that we're perishing? And that just makes me smile when I read it because isn't that what we do when we hit a storm in our life and, and things are out of control and, and we're filled with fear? Isn't that what we do? We go call on Jesus, we accuse him of being asleep on the job and really not caring about our well-being. And so they wake Jesus, he gets up and he calms the storm the waves die down, and then he says to them, why are you so afraid? And I love it. The, the amplify there is, is really cool. It says, um, he said to them, why are you so timid and fearful? How is it that you have no faith, no firmly relying trust. Oh, I wonder why it's so difficult for us to firmly rely on and trust in Jesus. Do you know how faithful he is? The Bible says that even when we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. You see, we've got to get this deep down in us. It has to be a core belief for us that we really do believe that God is faithful. But you see what we do, people around us, we've learned to trust, we've learned to, 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 we're in relationship with, maybe you love that person and you found out that they're not faithful, and we transfer that on to God. We say, because this person wasn't faithful, he mustn't be either, and, and we take what the world has shown us about faithfulness, and we transfer that to God, instead of saying, no, this is a God who's faithful even when I am faithless, because he cannot deny himself. He can't be anything but faithful. Do you understand that? And that has got to get in the core of our belief system, church. We've got to get to a place where we settle it in our mind that God cannot be anything but faithful, that he will always be faithful to me. Great is his faithfulness. That's got to get a, be a settled belief in us that nothing can move us from that place 
It's the same with his love. He can't help himself. He loves you. Even when you are in your worst shape, he loves you. He can't help himself because that's the core of who he is. He is love. He's not going to change. And you've got to settle that in your mind. He says, why are you so fearful? Why do you refuse to firmly no firmly relying trust. I, I love that. That's what the word faith means. It means total trust. Do you have total trust in God? You see, without faith, without total trust in God, it's impossible to please him. Oh, I want to please him. I don't know about you, but I want to please him. I've been saying, Lord, make me have mountain-moving faith. I want the kind of faith that looks the enemy in the eye, and no matter what report I see in front of me, I want a faith that says, I don't care what I see in the natural. I know what my God is able to do. Do you know what your God is able to do? I've been reading about Joshua and the spies and how God's or Moses sent them into the promised land. Now, it's really important that you understand that story because God said to the Israelites, I'm going to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey, and, and you're going to possess the land. It's going to be yours. I'm giving you possession of this land. Do you know that when God says something, he means it? Anybody besides me know that God means what he says, and, and when he says it, you can believe it. You can believe it. It's not hooky-kooky charismatic stuff. It's just the truth. People say, oh, you really shouldn't manipulate God's promises like that. Are you crazy? When God says something, he means it. When he gives you a promise, he wants you to believe it. What is this? Oh, I don't know if he really, you're, you're a little over the top believing promises like that. Are you kidding me? When I make a promise to somebody, I want them to say she means what she says. You better believe she's going to do it. I don't want them to say, maybe she will, maybe she won't. And God wants you to believe his promises. When he says, I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord your provider, he wants you to believe it. When he says, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer, the great physician, the bomb in Gilead, I'm God and there's nothing impossible for me, he wants you to believe it. But we transfer to him what we see happening with other people. This person doesn't mean what they say, therefore God mustn't mean what he says. No, our standard is God. People are not our measuring line. God is. And so God says to the Israelites, I'm going to give you this land flowing with milk and honey. It's yours. Go take possession of it. And, and, and so we see then in, in, uh, in Numbers where, where uh, the Israelites come to Moses and they say, Moses, could you just pick 12 men to go in and spy out the land for us? Could they scout it out? You know, God said it's ours, but, but let's just go see what it's like. Let's see what the enemy's like. Let's see what the, 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 the produce is like. Let's see if this land is really as good as, as that's Rhea's paraphrase, but let's just see if it's as good as God says it is. Let's see if we can really take this land. Now, Nowhere did God say, send a scout in and check it out. Nowhere did God say, develop a battle plan and, and make sure it's really fine-tuned before you go in and do this. No, God said, I'm giving it to you. Go take possession. Got it? But they, they said, let's go check it out and see if we really have the ability to do this. And so you know the story. They picked 12 men, one from every tribe, and they send them into the promised land. And, and they go in and, and they scout it out. Now, you know what the promised land is all about. And, and, and so there are some obstacles there, are there not? What does Joshua do? When, when we see Joshua go in and take the promised land, 
what does he have to what does he have to overcome? Somebody tell me. Giants, but but what does he have to before he ever gets to the giants? What's there? Big old honking walls. Jericho. He's got to get through Jericho, does he not? Are you with me? And, and he gets to the promised land, and what's there? Big old massive giants. So we know what's in the promised land. But, but so he sends these scouts in there, and, and Joshua and Caleb are two of the, of the 12 scouts. And, and they go in, and they spend 40 days scouting out the land. They find out that there is, it is indeed land blow, grow, flowing with milk and honey. It's very fertile. It's very bountiful. In fact, they, they, they get some, some grapes that are so big, they have to put it on a stick to get, to get it back into the, the Israelites. They're going to take it back to the Israelites and show them how honky-dory this land really is, and, and they're totally in agreement with God. This is indeed a land growing with milk and, uh, flowing with milk and honey. And so they get back after 40 days, and they're giving their report to the Israelites. And 10 of the spies, uh, you see, they're fear-based spies. They, they have a fear-based report. They have seen everything that God said. Everything is flowing with milk and honey. It's indeed what God said, but they add a nevertheless. They said, yes, it's flowing with milk and honey. Yes, it's fertile. Yes, it's bountiful. Nevertheless, there are giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb come back. Now, they have seen the same things that the other 10 spies have seen. They, they were with the other 10 spies, but their report is a little bit different. The Bible says that the 10 gave a negative report, but Joshua and Caleb, they said, we can definitely take this. You see, Joshua and Caleb, theirs was, was not a fear-based report. They saw the same thing. I think like my, my little niece, Polly, I think they felt fear. I think they just said that we are going to overcome this fear because we're trusting God more than we're trusting this fear. You see, some of you trust your fear more than you trust God. You fear the circumstances. You're looking in the natural and you're seeing some giants in your land and you're saying, I don't know if I can take this, take possession of this. I don't know if I can really conquer this thing in my life. I don't really know if, if this is really God working after all. I think I've changed my mind. Isn't that what the enemy does? He gets us to look at the natural. And he gives a spirit of fear along with it and says, you know what? It's way too big for you. This is even probably too big for God. That's what those spies did. They went in. They, they, they took a, a, um, an inventory of the land. They, they, they compiled a report. They looked in the natural. They made their observations. It didn't matter what God said at that point because they were looking at the natural and the natural had obstacles they didn't think they could overcome. And so they brought back a negative report. And that's some of you. Some of you, God has given you his book of promises. He said he is your great I am. He'll be everything you need him to be when you need him to be everything he is. He'll be your provider. He'll be your healer. He'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll be a husband to the husbandless. He'll be everything you need him to be. And yet, in the natural, something starts happening in your life, and, and, and fear starts mounting up, and you think, oh, no, what am I going to do? My son's addicted. My, my daughter's going crazy. Uh, you know, my finances are in the red. I'm going to lose my job. And you start looking at the natural, and, and, and the, the, the spirit of fear starts to rise up within you because you believed what you could see in the natural versus the supernatural God that you serve. And we have got to make up our mind. What are we going to believe? Are we going to believe God's word 
or are we going to relieve what we see in the natural? It's a choice. It's a choice. The other night I went into Kendall's bedroom and she was studying the word of God. I said, baby, what are you studying? And she said, oh, mama, I'm looking in the, she was in the first chapter of Joshua. And I said, oh, what are you reading about Joshua? And she said, mom, look at this. She said, in four verses, God commands. He doesn't just tell Joshua. He commands. In four verses, he tells him three times. She's pointing up her three fingers. And in four verses, God tells Joshua three times. Commands, not tells, commands Joshua three times. Be strong and courageous. And I said, oh, t- tell me what you, what you see in those verses, Kendall. And she said, well, mom, look, the first verse, it says, be strong and courageous. And she said, and then the next one, it says, only be strong and courageous. And she said, and then in the third verse, it says, be strong and very courageous. And she said, mom, why do you think he says it three different ways like that? And, and so I said, Kendall, th- tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to study that verse and we'll talk more about it. And so I got up the next morning and I began to look at that passage. Now, I want you to know what happening when God tells uh, Joshua this. Remember, he's commanding it. You don't command something that, that, that doesn't require obedience. It doesn't require an act of your will. When God issues a command, it's going to, what a command tells me is that my will is going to be activated somehow. I'm going to have to exercise my will somehow. If God is commanding me to do it, it tells me that I'm not doing it or it's not going to be easy for me. That, that my tendency is going to be to want to do something else. So if God is commanding Joshua to be strong and very courageous, that tells me there must be a temptation for him to not be. There must be a temptation for him to be fearful. You say, what does Joshua have to fear? Well, remember, Moses had just died. I love that the first thing God says is, Moses, your servant, is dead. Here's some advice for you, Joshua. Moses, your servant, is dead. Moses is dead, but my plan is not dead. <laughs> Moses is dead, but what I'm doing is not dead. Moses' plan is dead, but my plan to deliver these people is not dead. And see, some of you, you need to hear God say, Moses is dead. That man walked out on you for another woman, and your life has stopped. But let me just tell you what, Moses is dead, but God's plan for your life is not dead. Get up and keep moving. Some of you, you lost your job, your life is pathetic, you're going downhill fast, and you need to hear God say, Moses is dead. It's in the past. Get on, get up, and get a new job, and move on. It's time. Hey, God, that job might have died, but God did not die. And I love that he says, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now get up and get moving. I still, my plan still needs to be fulfilled. So then he tells Joshua he's going to, you know, going to send him in to possess this promised land. And, and Joshua's thinking, Moses, <laughs> you want me to do this, God? What about Moses? He was a great leader. Who am I? And Moses was intimate with you, and, and they shared great intimacy. Can you imagine how intimidating that is alone? Remember, Joshua had been going through the wilderness with, with the Israelites, and he was Moses' assistant. And, and he's seen what the Israelites were like. He heard them grumble. He heard them complain. He heard them bicker amongst each other. He heard them grumble against God. He heard them fight with Moses. He knew what the Israelites were like. Remember, he was one of the scouts that went in to the promised land to scout it out. He knew there were big old honking giants. He knew those giants were not going to come down without a fight. He knew. He knew what was in that promised land. He knew what he was going to have to face. 
But the biggest thing is he knew he was going to have to take two and a half million grumbling, grouchy Israelites into that promised land. That's enough to make anybody fearful. No wonder God said, you need to be strong and very courageous. And very courageous. I love that it was a command. And that tells me that Joshua was going to have to make a decision even when he didn't feel like it. It was a command that he was issuing. Do you know that Joshua's name was not always Joshua? Do you know that? When he came to be with Moses, his name was Hosea. And Hosea means salvation. As that word salvation means deliverance. It means to be victorious. Do you just love that your name would be that? Hosea, victorious, to be victorious, salvation, deliverance. And Moses, he renames him. It, right before he sends him into the promised land to scout it out, he says, your name is going to be Joshua. The word says he started calling him Joshua. Do you know what Joshua means? Jehovah is salvation. I love that. I love that he's, he's making a statement. He's saying, Hosea, let me just tell you what. You are not the end all be all. You are not the one who's going to deliver. You are not the one who, who's going to bring victory here. Can I tell you what? Joshua, Jehovah is salvation. He is the deliverer. He is the only answer. He is the one who's going to bring victory. Lest you should ever forget that, Joshua, let me just rename you. And some of you need to hear that tonight. You need to hear, can I, can I just tell you, you are not able to deliver yourself. You are not able to bring victory yourself. You're not able to clean yourself up. You're not able to deliver yourself from that fear. It is going to take a source bigger than you, and his name is Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. Do you need a deliverer? I'm telling you, he's in the house. He's in the house. God says, Joshua, be strong and very courageous. It's a choice. Courage was a choice. It was going to require an act of the will. I looked up the word in, in the dictionary, and the word courage means the state or quality of mind or spirit that enables one to face danger, fear, with self-possession, confidence, and resolution. I, I love that. In other words, courage doesn't mean that you're never going to have to face bats in the attic or giants in the land. It just means you're going to do it. You're going to be resolute. You're going to do it with confidence. It doesn't mean lack of fear. That's so interesting to me. That courage doesn't mean lack of fear. It just means you're going to do it afraid, confident in the one who's sending you. Do you understand that when you know who you are in Christ, when you know that you are, are a child of the Most High God and that, that fathers take care of their children, when you know that he says to Joshua, I am going to be with you always. That, that's how you can be strong and courageous. You can understand that I am with you. Do you know that God says to you, I'm with you to the end of time? Do you know that he's with us always, that he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us, that he is Emmanuel, God with us? Oh, come on. You and God can do anything. You're not a minority. You're the majority because you have God with you. Do you understand that? He says, be strong and, and courageous, Joshua, for I am with you. I'm upholding you with my mighty right hand. I don't know what fear tries to overtake you. I don't know what you have to do to convince yourself to be brave, but I am here to tell you just the knowledge that God is with you should be enough. It should be enough. What do you have to face? What brings you fear? Maybe it's rejection. Maybe you fear rejection. Can I tell you what? You have already been chosen by God. 
You can't be, man might be able to reject you, but, but you see, I always wondered about Christ. You see, how did he live with so many people rejecting him, with so many people, you know, they wanted to, they crucified him for goodness sake. How did he live in the midst of that? Because he didn't live in his rejectedness, he lived in his chosenness. And you and I need to begin to do that. Some of you fear rejection so great. That, that, that's, that, that's the fear that grips you is you're so afraid of being rejected. Can I tell you, just start living in your chosenness. You've been chosen by God. Some of you fear be, being abandoned. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Some of you fear, what if I don't have enough money to put, put bread, you know, a meal on the table? Can I tell you, he says, I clothe the lily of the field. He cares about the sparrow. How much more will he care about you? He says he's God and there's nothing impossible for him. What do you fear? Put that fear in front of a God who's nothing, and there's nothing impossible for. You fear your child being taken away or being addicted and, and destroying their life. Can I tell you, every day, almost every day of my life, I say my children will be taught by the Lord, and great will their peace be. Regardless of what I'm seeing in the natural, I am not going to bring a bad report. I can see something in the natural, and, and I'm going to let the supernatural override it. You see, that's what happened with those spies. They went in. They had the report of God. They had the promise of God that was leading and guiding them, and they went in there, and in the natural, they saw something that, <laughs> that, that, that scared them a little bit, and they began to believe that report over God's promise. And you and I have got to stop believing the report that we see in the natural over God's promise. What does God say to you? Get you a promise book, dig it out of the Word of God, and find a promise that you can stand on, and don't be moved by anything else. I'm telling you, I don't care what I see in my children. I, I'm speaking over their life. My sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will their peace be. The, the offspring of the righteous will be blessed. Not might be blessed. They will be blessed. And I'm going to speak it till I see it. Because I am not going to believe a report I see in the natural. I'm not going to take on a spirit of fear because of what I see in the natural. I am going to rest knowing that I am being held and upheld by the promises of God. Now, we have got to believe, church. We've got to get to this place where we grow up. That is one thing I aim to do on Monday night. We have got to grow up in the Word. We've got to get it down deep inside of us and begin to stand on it and believe it and be immovable in it. When I had the, the, the bad report about this cancer on my, on my forehead, I had so many bad reports. I had doctors saying to me, Rhea, you don't understand. And I had to look them in the eye and say, no, you don't understand. I have a report that's bigger than your pathology report. And we have got to get to a place where we are immovable. Immovable. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That settles it. It's not hooky-kooky. It is what God wants because without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. What do you fear? My mother-in-law, 
admits to struggling with fear. She says sometimes she lays awake all night, gripped by fear. I said, what do you do about that? And she said, you learn to do it afraid. You learn to do it afraid. Because you understand I'm going to press through this and do it afraid because I know the power of God is upholding me. I know I'm going to see the power of God in the midst of this circumstance. Sometimes we have to choose to do it afraid. Courage is not lack of fear. It's doing it afraid. It's interesting to me that the, the 10 spies that came back, one of the things that they added to their report is they said that they saw the giants and they were like grasshoppers. They became like grasshoppers in their own eyes. Isn't that what fear does to us? It makes the thing that we're fearing look so much bigger than we are. It makes us small in our own eyes. Can I tell you who you are in Christ? Can I tell you how powerful you are in him? The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. That's power, guys. I love Leah's story. Do you know that everywhere I go, my aim is, I, I understand that that power lives inside of me. I understand who's upholding me with their mighty right hand. And so for me, give me a circumstance that looks hopeless. Give me a circumstance that looks fearful. Give me a dark situation because I understand who I'm taking into it. Do, do you see that? And that was Leah. She saw a situation. She had an opportunity to bring a big God into a circumstance that looked out of control. And it changed everything. Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? You've not been given a spirit of fear. You've been given a spirit of sonship. Of sonship. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I've been writing the Psalm 91 book again, and it's so interesting to me to go back over Psalm 91 and, and the whole picture of, uh, of being in his refuge and hiding under the shelter of his wing and the protection that's afforded in God's presence. And, and, and this week I was working on verse 5 where it says, You shall not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day. You don't have to fear it because you've made the most high your dwelling place. Because you understand that he's with you and that he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. So you don't need to fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day. You don't have to fear anything that's coming at you. You don't have to fear any situation that you're in. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you and working through you. I think the solution to fear is having a bigger fear of God. Fearing God more than you fear the fear. Understanding who he is in the midst of it. I've been studying this promised land stuff and I, I'm fascinated how God says go in and possess the land and 
Dave and I have been talking recently about warfare and, and how I really don't believe that the church, at least I don't, I don't have enough knowledge about warfare prayers. And I've been asking God to teach me and, and to take me to scripture and to talk to me about warfare. And because it's interesting to me that he tells, um, it, in fact, let's just turn over to it real quickly and then I'm going to close. But I, wa- I want you to just see the scripture because it was fascinating to me this week. Uh, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Look at verse 24. He says, rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sion the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. That word engage, it means to cause strife, to stir up, to contend, to meddle, to be stirred up, to wage war to stir up strife, to be rough. He says, begin to possess it and engage him in battle. He was talking about an enemy king. And he said, I want you, I'm going to give you this land. Now you begin to possess it, take it over and engage the enemy in battle. I wonder how many of us have land that God wants us to possess have territory that really is ours. And as God has promised to give us, and yet we don't take possession. We don't engage in battle with the enemy. We don't say, he who's stolen has stolen long enough. It's time for me to take back what's been stolen from me. It's time for me to take back territory. It's time for me to take back family members. It's time for me to take back children. It's time for me to take back finances. It's time for me to take back my marriage. It's time for me to take back my church. It's time for me to take back Milwaukee. It's time for me to take back. I'm engaged in church. Can I just tell you, I'm engaged and you're going to hear about it for the next couple weeks because it's what I'm studying and we are going to begin to engage and take possession of what God has already said is ours. But we're walking like timid, like like, oh, can I really take this? Is this really what you want me to do? No, God said it's ours and we're going to take it. And we're starting with Milwaukee. Can I tell you, I am going to take possession. I'm going to take possession and I'm going to engage and start to possess all that God has promised us. This is his territory. The enemy should not be running, running around, stealing lives, stealing, stealing marriages, stealing children, stealing property. He should not be able to be doing that. And we are going to begin to possess all that God wants us to possess. Hallelujah is right. I am so tired. Can I tell you, I don't care if we windle down to 10 people in this church. Because there'll be 10 people who know how to fight. There'll be 10 people who know how to possess. There'll be 10 people who aren't church sitters, pew sitters. There'll be 10 people on fire for the Lord, making a difference in this world. Can I tell you, we are going to stand someday before God. We are standing someday before God. And the word of God says that in that day, many will say, not a few, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all this mighty stuff, all this churchy stuff in your name? And I'm going to say, away from me, I never knew you. That's what he says. They are calling him Lord. I believe it's because they think he is. And I'm just telling you, church, I don't care what you think. I Argue with me all you want. I'll take you back to scripture. He says, in that day, the day we stand in front of him, many, not a few, look it up in the original language. It means a great deal of mankind. 
many will say, Lord, Lord. They're calling him Lord. They think he is. Did we not do all this stuff in your name? Did we not go through the spiritual motions in your name? And I'll say, away from me, I never knew you. I was never intimately acquainted with you. And you know what? I, we could rock this place out. We could fill this place up on Monday night with people. If I just dumbed down my message, if I would just be sweet and kind and pathetic and give you three points and a, and a joke, we could pack this place out. But I'm not interested in pew sitters. I'm not interested in mundane, mediocre Christianity. I know that the Lord told me to build an army, and an army that'll take possession, an army that'll engage, an army that'll stir up strife for the enemy's kingdom and take back what he's stolen and do some damage for the Lord. And we gotta just decide, are we playing games? Are we going through the religious motions? Or are we serious? Are we serious about living to please the Lord and doing what he's called us to do? It's interesting to me that my smoke alarm is going off. My smoke alarm. So, Father, we just thank you for these people. And I pray, Lord God, that you would raise us up strong. That we would be done with mediocre, mundane living. And that you would give us a passion and a hunger to please you and know you better. I pray that you would stir us up, Lord God. that you would instill a faith in us, Lord, that moves mountains. That we would be immovable in what we believe. Firmly committed, sold out, laid down lovers of yours. Lord, may we not be fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to us? Lord, we know you're with us. You're upholding us with your mighty right hand. Let us go into this week knowing there's nothing to fear. There's nothing we can't do with you. And Lord, teach us to possess all that you've promised us. And walk in the fullness, Lord God, of all you've made ready for us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.